The book of Judges is our series that we are in, um, and uh, we are moving along as we're starting to meet some of our judges. We met the first one last week. We're going to meet another one today. Today is uh, entitled, Deborah, the Exceptional Judge. The Exceptional Judge. Throughout history, there, there's been a constant tension between the sexes, right? Um, who's in charge? Who makes decisions? Uh, who's stronger? Who's smarter? Who's the best cook? Who's the best driver? <laughs> who's the most organized? Who's the, the most creative? Who gets to choose what we watch on TV? Uh, some roles tend to be dominated by one sex or the other. We understand that. Uh, while there are exceptions, and there's always exceptions, most mechanics are men. Uh, most mechanics are men, and most secretaries are women. Uh, and when there are exceptions to those rules, um, we stand up and notice, don't we? You know, we, we say, wow, look, they got a lady mechanic. You don't see that much. Uh, or, or that business has a, a male secretary. I don't know if I've ever seen one of those. I don't think I have. Uh, Recently, uh, you, you may have seen uh, female referees in the NFL. Uh, uh, those of you who watched that, you, you might have seen that. In fact, the very first one uh, started seven years ago, and her name is Sarah Thomas. This is her right here. Uh, and uh, she's been uh, working uh, full-time for seven years. Today, there are a couple of full-time female referees in the NFL. Now, usually we don't even take notice of referees uh, when we're watching an NFL game, except when they make a, a bad call against our team, then we sort of notice it. Uh, but announcers have made a point to notice the female NFL referees because it's just not common, and it's new. And so we, we pay attention to that exception in the NFL. Throughout history, leadership among nations and kingdoms has been dominated by men. Yes, there are exceptions. Uh, in, in some countries, like in England, uh, when there is no male heir to the throne, well, the, the, the daughter, or the, the female heir, takes the throne. We have been living uh, with uh, uh, Queen Elizabeth for how, how many? I think she's, what, 99 or something, 98, something? Uh, she's, uh, she's, she's the heir, but it's rare. Most rulers in history have been men. Most military leaders throughout history have been dominated by men. I, I think this kind of fits the way God designed us. Uh, women are natural nurturers, and they specialize in providing comfort and care, while men like to destroy things. <laughs> uh, several years ago, we had our grandchildren over the house, and uh, Three granddaughters were in the room, and they were having a nice tea party, and they were sitting around the little table, and it was quiet, and the little chinkling uh, cups, and they had their little fingers sticking up, and they were, they were drinking their tea, and all of a sudden, out of the door burst my grandson, and he arrested everybody. <laughs> Either by culture or by the way we were designed by God, men and women tend to play roles in life that are dominated by their gender. Uh, and when there is an exception to that tendency, people take notice. 
Today's judge is one of those exceptions. Deborah, the exceptional judge. Last week we ended with um, Israel's second judge, Ehud, who killed the obese evil king uh, with his customized hobbit sword. Uh, we have a, a we, and we, as we saw at the end there uh, last week, saw, uh, saw that we have a specialized weapon too, just like Ehud did, uh, along with a whole suit of specialized armor uh, that, that we can use to defend against and defeat the evil that you and I face each day. Our weapon is the Word of God. Uh, our armor is truth, righteousness, the gospel, faith, salvation all of which we discover and develop as we use our spiritual sword, the Word of God. The third judge that Israel had was um, um, somewhat obscure. Uh, we don't have a lot of details about him, but let's read about the third judge, Judges 3, verse 31. After Ehud came Shamgar, son of Anath who struck down 600 Philistines with an ox goad. He, too, saved Israel. Shamgar, the third judge, had a brief time of leadership, it seems, after, soon after Ehud had died. And by his name, um, Shamgar, he may not even have been an Israelite. Shamgar is not a, a Jewish name. He may have just simply been a, a Canaanite convert, or maybe he was just an ally um, we don't know much about Shamgar, but one thing that we knew, do know about him is pretty notable. Shamgar saved Israel by killing 600 Philistines with an ox goad. How many of you know what an ox goad is? You ever used one? Uh, well, this is an ox goad. An ox goad is, uh, well, that's a real fancy one, uh, but an ox goad is a, is, is a tool that's used by a farmer who's driving his ox uh, which are pulling a wagon or a cart or maybe a plow. And so you're just kind of goading him along. That, that would make me want to move if it got goaded with that. Um, it's usually not used as a weapon, but Shamgar grabbed him. Maybe it was the only thing that was there. And with God's help, he by himself killed 600 Philistines. Uh, some people might think, ah, that could never happen. Well, with God, anything's possible, and God was definitely involved whenever there was a judge uh, on, uh, involved. So uh, that's, what, that's what we know about him, Shamgar. But as soon as he's gone and Ehud is gone, it didn't take long for the same old thing to happen again to the Israelites. Let's, let's continue. Um, chapter, three, verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 1. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord, now that Ehud was dead. So the Lord sold them into the hands of Jabin, king of Canaan, who reigned in Hazar. Sisera, the commander of his army, was based in Harasheth Hegayim, because he had 900 chariots fitted with iron and had cruelly oppressed the Israelites for 20 years. They cried out to the Lord for help. As always, because God loved his people, uh, despite their sin, whenever they would finally cry out for help, God would be there to help them and come and rescue them. So, as in this period of their life, he's, he sent them another judge. But this time it was different. 
this time it was a woman judge, a woman named Deborah. Let's look at verse 4 through 7. Now Deborah, a prophet, the wife of Lapidoth, was leading Israel at this time. She held court under the palm of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim. And the Israelites went up to her to have their dis disputes decided. She sent for Barak, son of Ab Abinoam, and from Kedesh in Naphtali, and said to him, The Lord, the God of Israel, commands you, Go, take with you 10,000 men of Naphtali and Zebulun, and lead them up to Mount Tabor. I will lead Sisera, uh, the commander of Jabin's army, with his chariots and his troops to the Kishon River, and give him into your hands. Now, Deborah, we see, was a prophet. Uh, again, usually in Scripture, prophets uh, sent by God are men. But there are a couple of exceptions in the Old Testament, like Miriam, uh, Moses' sister, is called a prophet. You know what? I didn't realize that until this study. Uh, seems like she was a prophet, uh, mostly, mostly to women, uh, but she was called a prophet in Exodus 15, verse 20. But female prophets are rare. Deborah is one of them. Deborah was also a wife. Uh, her husband's name is Lapidoth. Uh, but while she is married, her role in this story is not that of a wife of a leader. You know, most, a lot of the women in the, in the Bible are, are just somebody's wife, you know, some important person's wife. Uh, but not, not Deborah. No, Deborah is the leader here in this story. She is a judge, and she's not just uh, in the leadership role of Israel. Uh, she is a, like a judge judge. <laughs> uh, Deborah held court and settled people's disputes. Uh, but notice where she did this, where she held court. Uh, under the palm of Deborah. She held court at her place, <laughs> her place. Uh, it, it was not at the courthouse. You know, it was not at the city gate with all the elders, as court usually was held during that time. Um, uh, Deborah did not use the normal judicial system of the local city. She was independent uh, of the local system, which showed uh, her superiority as judge over over other judges. In her role, given to her by God, God called her to this position, she began to take action against the enemies that were oppressing the Israelites. You know, the enemies that Israel was tolerating along with tolerating their pagan gods, uh, the pagan gods that Israel actually began to worship themselves. Uh, you know, those enemies. Uh, the enemies that Israel, at least for now, was finally rejecting and asking for deliverance from. So Deborah was making plans to take care of that, to defeat the pagan Canaanite king, Jabin, and his forces. Well, first, Deborah needed a military leader, uh, and his name was Barak, not to be confused with our former president. Um, unlike uh, Gideon and Ehud, uh, Deborah was, was herself was not a military leader uh, or fighter herself. 
uh, as, uh, as many leaders do, she, because she is not herself a soldier, she called an experienced military fighter to, to do the groundwork uh, uh, for the, this military campaign that was going to be taking place. So she instructs Barak uh, to gather 10,000 men from the two tribes of Naphtali and Zebulun. Naphtali is Barak's uh, tribe, and, and then the neighboring tribe of Zebulun. 10,000 men from those two tribes. Um, and these two tribes were especially vulnerable to the oppression of Jabin because they were immediately adjacent to the land where uh, Jabin lived. And so they were the first ones. They got the brunt of all the oppression uh, as they went out to, to, uh, to rule the people. Uh, and so they especially uh, were there to take care of, of this battle. So while Deborah uh, did not plan to ride out in front and lead the way militarily, she did have a plan for Barak to follow, and it was a plan given to her by God. The plan was this. You need 10,000 troops. All right, You need to take your men and you need to rally at Mount Tabor, which is a mountain nearby. And while Barak and the army waited there at Mount Tabor, Deborah was going to lure Sisera, Jabin's military leader, with his 900 chariots fitted with iron to the Kishon River. And there the Canaanites would be given into the hands of the Israelites. That was the plan. Now, here, here's another example of, of God's leader guaranteeing victory, guaranteeing victory. You know, it wasn't, and hopefully this will all work out and, and we'll be the victors. And it wasn't, and maybe, you never know, there's a good chance that, uh, you know, we, we might win this one. No, it was the enemy will be given into your hands, guaranteed. All God wanted throughout history and even today, all God wants is someone to step up and put their total and complete trust in him. That's all he wants. He's the one that's got all the power. He's the one that, that's got the, 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 the strength to take care of enemies. If we'll just put our total and complete trust and faith in him, he will give us the victory of whatever we're facing. And Deborah was ready to do that and did that. But here comes a different twist to the story. Barak, the strong manly man uh, who would be actually leading the army, he decides that he needed Deborah, a woman, to go with him. Look at verse 8. Barak said to her, I, if you go with me, I will go. But if you don't go with me, I won't go. You know, I'm only going to do this if you come with me, Deborah. You don't go, I don't go. Now, this was strange, I think, because uh, most men of that time, or any time, really, uh, would tend to want to show their independence from a woman who was telling them what to do. <laughs> uh, you know, a lot of men don't want to be ordered around by a woman. Right or wrong, that's just the way it is with men. Especially a tough military general. I don't need some woman to tell me what to do. But Barak not only didn't mind Deborah's orders, but he, he insisted, I want you to come with me, <laughs> even if there's a price to pay. And there was. Here's the price, verse 9. 
Certainly I will go with you, said Deborah. But because of the course you're taking, the honor will not be yours. For the Lord will deliver Sisera into the hands of a woman. So Deborah went with Barak to Kadesh. Okay, Barak, I'll go with you. Uh, but if I do, a woman's going to be honored for the victory, not you. You need to understand that. You know, many generals uh, have large egos, don't they? Uh, and they love the praise that they get for their wisdom and their courage in leading the battle. You know, but Barak was willing to let all of that go in order to, to have his leader, who he respected, Deborah, with him. And that says a lot about Barak, I think. Uh, Barak recognizes Deborah for who she is. You know, she's not just some woman telling him what to do. No, she is God's judge, and he recognizes that. <laughs> She's God's, God's judge who is guaranteeing him victory in this battle. And the important thing Barak sees is the victory, not the glory. You might remember on Wednesday night when we were studying, for those of you who were there, we were studying the, the Sermon on the Mount, and we talked about how important it is that we, are, we check our motives when we're serving God. Make sure we're serving God, not so people can pat us on the back and say, man, you sure did a good job with that. But we're, we're serving God because we just want to give him glory, regardless of whether there's glory uh, directed to, to us, even if no one even knows. We're not doing it for praise. We're doing it for, for God's glory. And, and Barak is doing the same. But there's another woman involved in this story. Perhaps this is the woman that Deborah spoke of who would receive the glory. Maybe Deborah wasn't talking about herself. And in a moment, we're going to be introduced to Jael. But first, let's, let's look at the battle, verse 10 through 13. Then Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali, and 10,000 men went up under his command. Deborah also went up with him. Now Heber, the Kenite, had left the other Kenites, the descendants of, descendants of Hobab, Moses' brother-in-law, and pitched his tent by the great tree of Zananim near Kadesh. When they told Sisera that Barak, son of Abinoam, had gone up to Mount Tabor, Sisera summoned from Harasheth Hegoyim to the Kishon River all his men and his 900 chariots fitted with iron. Now, Barak gathered his forces with Deborah. They headed off to Mount Tabor. Uh, meanwhile, a man named Heber, the Kenite, uh, pitched a tent near Kadesh, which uh, we might ask the question, and why is it thrown in the middle here? Who in the world is this Heber guy? To me, Heber is this guy that lived down in Crestwell and had a pig farm. Um, but, uh, but no, this, this guy, he set up a tent. Uh, he, and and what, why is that thrown in the middle of the story? Well, we'll see. Heber is a descendant of Moses' brother-in-law, Jethro, if you remember that story, uh, and sort of a distant cousin. Heber is sort of a distant cousin of the Israelites. Of course, he's not traveling with them. He's independent of them. But there's some kin way back there. Uh, at this time, uh, the Kenites are friendly with 
the enemy, with Jabin, the, the Canaanite king. But for some reason, uh, perhaps by God's providence, Heber decides to set up a camp in a place called Kadesh. Now, this camp is going to play a very significant role here in a minute in this story, so we'll get back to it. At some point, Heber uh, gets word to Sisera, the, the military leader, that Barak has gone to Mount Tabor, and he's got a bunch of men. I don't know how many, but there's thousands of them. There's a, there's a large number of troops, and, and Heber informs Sisera about what's going on with the Israelites. And upon hearing this news, Sisera then summoned his army, his 900 chariots, to come down to the Kishon River, right where Deborah wanted them to be. Now, was Heber a spy for Deborah, making sure that Sisera got the word about Barak and his army? Maybe so, maybe so. You know, Deborah did say that she was going to lure Sisera to the Kishon River. Perhaps this was the way she did that, through Heber. And in a moment, we're going to see that at least Heber's wife, Jael, had no love for the Canaanites and their rule over the land. So let's see how the battle plays out, verse 14 through 17. Then Deborah said to Barak, Go, this is the day the Lord has given Sisera into your hands. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? So Barak went down Mount Tabor with 10,000 men following him. At Barak's advance, the Lord routed Sisera and all his chariots and army by the sword. And Sisera got down from his chariot and fled on foot. Barak pursued the chariots and army as far as Harasheth Hegayim, and all Sisera's troops fell by the sword. Not a man was left. Sisera, meanwhile, fled on foot to the tent of Jael, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, because there was an alliance between Jabin, king of Hazor, and the family of Heber, the Kenite. So the battle was set. The Canaanite forces uh, were right where Deborah wanted them to be. Barak was ready with his 10,000 troops. Deborah gives the order, all right, go, go. Has not the Lord gone ahead of you? I don't know about you, but if I'm ever going to be in a military battle uh, as a soldier, this is the kind of battle I want to be in. The one where the Lord goes ahead of me <laughs> and guarantees me victory, that's the battle I want to be in. Barak leads his troop down, troops down the, the mountain into the Kishon Valley. And did you catch what the text said? The Lord routed Sisera and all of his chariots and army by the sword. God, using the swords of the Israelites, obliterated the, Canaan, the Canaanite army despite their great strength. You know, in a normal battle... Uh, of that time, one, you know, without God going down ahead of you and being on your side. In a normal battle, 900 chariots uh, fitted with iron. You know, that's nothing to sneeze at. I mean, that's a powerful army. Imagine seeing out there around us 900 chariots. Most chariots had a driver and an archer riding with them. 
And on flat terrain, man, this would put us an army that's just on foot at a tremendous disadvantage. The chariot had lots of things in its favor. It had speed. I mean, you could get from here to there really quick. Uh, you could close the gap very fast. You had weight. You know, you could just run right over foot soldiers with, with, a, with a heavy uh, chariot. You had striking distance. While you're on your way, you could be firing with, with your arrows. Uh, man, they had a lot of, of advantage on their side because of these chariots. Most armies on foot would be useless against a force like this. However, chariots are much less effective against the God of Israel. That's an advantage that no one can overcome. Sisera, their general, when the battle is in, in, the, in the midst of, of being routed, what does he do? He gets out of his chariots and he runs away on foot. Now, you might think, well, why, why didn't he ride his chariot away? Boy, he could get away a lot faster if he just took off with his chariot. Well, a couple of reasons why he took, took off on foot could be because his horses were dead. <laughs> You know, you don't think about it, but chariots uh, don't run on diesel engines. I mean, they run on horses. And the horses are living creatures. And in a battle like that with arrows flying, you know, I'm sure a lot of the, uh, if not all of the horses were killed. And so maybe his horses were dead. Uh, but perhaps he just wanted to slip away quietly. Amongst the chaos, just quick, quietly slip away. If he's riding his chariot off, somebody might think, hey, who's that guy running away in the chariot? That looks like the king or the general. Uh, but no, he ran away on foot. The brave general runs for his life. Meanwhile, Barak's men pursued the chariots, because uh, at some point all the chariots go, hey, this ain't working out like we thought it was. So they're, they're trying to head back home. And so the, Barak's men pursued the chariots that were fleeing and killed every single man. How did they do this? How did, how, how did they not get away if they're riding in chariots and, and Barak's men are just on foot? Well, you know, there's a hint of that in Deborah's song, which is in chapter 5. Chapter 5 is called uh, Deborah's song, uh, and it's basically a, a poetic recap of Deborah's life as a judge, and it includes this battle in that song. I, I encourage you to read it. It's, it's, um, it's a beautiful thing to read. Uh, and as you're reading through it, verse 21 indicates that the river might have swept them away. Uh, so maybe God sent some rain, and there's a flash flood that happens in valleys, in dry valleys like that. And, and, and of course, where there's rain and, and, and uh, flash flooding, there's mud, and there's, you know, Iron heavy chariots don't do very well in mud, do they? Or in floods. That made these great weapons pretty much useless. What happened to Sisera, the, the general, uh, the brave general? Well, unable, he, he unable to get past Barak's army to get back home. What did he do? He ran to the, the, the direction of Kedesh, right where Heber... The Kenite had set up his camp, uh, who Sisera thought was his ally. As Sisera approached the camp, Heber's wife, Jael, went out to meet him. Verse 18, Jael went out to meet Sisera and said to him, Come, my lord, 
come right in. Don't be afraid. So he entered her tent, and she covered him with a blanket. You know, at this point, J.L. begins an act that demonstrates some pretty good acting ability <laughs> and some bravery on her part. She invites this general into her tent. Now, when a camp was set up in that culture, often the women would have their own tent, separate and apart from their husband's tent. And so what a safe place this would be for Sisera. You know, in the wife's tent of an ally. You know, no one would ever think to look for me there. I mean, it, it would be a great place to hide, a perfect place to hide. And when Jael suggested that he come in and be safe, it sounded like a great idea. She gave him a nice, comfortable blanket, and he settled in to safely ride out the storm. Look at verse 19. I'm thirsty, he said. Please give me some water. She opened up a skin of milk, gave him a drink, and covered him up. Stand in the doorway of the tent, he told her. If someone comes by and asks you, is anyone in there? Say no. Now, sister got a little bossy there, didn't he? <laughs> you know, here's, this, here's another man's wife risking her life and her reputation to protect this, this, uh, this man. And all, and all he can do is tell her what to do, barking out orders at her, ordering her to stand guard by the door. And if anybody asks if, if I'm in here, say no, lie, lie to them. You know, J.L. has this brave general all snuggled up in his blankie with a nice warm a belly full of warm milk, you know, believing that he is safe and secure from any attacking forces from Barak. But of course, he never thought about other dangers that he might face. Let's look at verse 21. But J.L., Heber's wife, picked up a tent peg and a hammer and he went and went quietly to him while he lay fast asleep exhausted she drove the peg through his temple into the ground and he died <laughs> ouch ouch now while Cicero was dreaming of running barefoot through the meadow <laughs> holding jail's hand his new savior J.L. had other ideas about running something. She grabbed a tent peg and a hammer, walked up to the sleeping, exhausted general, and ran the peg through his temple and into the ground. And I think it's pretty comical that it adds, and he died. <laughs> you think? You think he's probably dead after that? I think so. Verse 22. Just then Barak came by in pursuit of Sisera, and J.L. went out to meet him. Come, she said, I will show you the man you're looking for. So he went with her, and there lay Cicero with a tent peg through his temple, dead. Hey, Barack, you looking for Cicero? Come, come here. I, I got something to show you. I got something to show you. And there lay the general, as dead as a doornail or a tent peg. <laughs> Verse 23, on that day, God subdued Jabin, king of Canaan before the Israelites and the hand of the Israelites pressed harder and harder against Jabin king of Canaan until they destroyed him God delivered 
uh, Jabin, king of Canaan, to Israel. Now the roles are switched again. That happens over and over again uh, for Israel. God won the battle. Without him, the Israelites did not have a stand a chance against 900 chariots. No way. But with God, the victory was guaranteed. And it was so. God won the battle. But he used some exceptional people to help him win the battle. He was the strong force, but without some exceptional people, it still wouldn't have happened. After Israel cried out for help, he called Deborah to be Israel's judge. He gave Deborah, a woman, the plan. And with her leadership skills, she motivated Barak, the military leader, to take on the challenge. In fact, her leadership was so strong, Barak, Barak refused to go into battle unless Deborah went with him. Even though he might not get the glory for the victory. God used Heber a messenger, uh, as a messenger to get Sisera and his army where, exactly where he needed to be. God thwarted the advantage of the iron chariots and, and allowed the Israelites to easily defeat them, perhaps by causing rain and flooding and mud to bog down those chariots. God used Jael to trick Sisera into thinking he was safe. And when he was nice and relaxed, Jael pinned his ear to the ground. <laughs> God has always used exceptional people to help him fulfill his work in his kingdom. No one may, no one may have ever expected this victory to come at the hands of not just one woman, but two women. Yet it did. Was Heber a spy working for God? Using trickery to lure Sisera to the Kishon River and his wife to lure the general to a not-so-delicious steak? God has always used exceptional people to fulfill his work. The Apostle Paul wrote in the book of Ephesians, chapter 2, verse 8 through 10, this, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast, for we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You know, God prepared in advance a woman judge, a nomad and his wife, a general who was not afraid to be overshadowed by a woman. God prepared these exceptional people to do what he needed them to do, even though they may have never done these kinds of things before. And I'm sure, they, I'm sure that was the first tent peg that J.L. had ever driven through a man's head. Yet God used them in great ways, didn't he? And God has planned in advance work for you and me to do in his kingdom today. Perhaps work that we've never even considered or, or, or would think, there's no way I could do that. No. Have you ever thought, man, I, I could never tell somebody about, somebody about Jesus. I, I'm not a preacher. I'm not a teacher. I'm not a Bible scholar. I don't know what to say or how to say it. No, God, God could never use me to teach someone about Jesus. But you know what? J.L. 
was in the right place at the right time. She had the opportunity to end this war. She had a temp peg. She had a hammer. And all she needed was the willingness to drive it home. You have opportunities to touch people's lives for Christ every day. Uh, perhaps opportunities that no one else has. You know, may, maybe you're the only Christian in your workplace. Who else is going to shine the light of Jesus if you don't do it? I can't do it at your workplace. The elders here can't do it at your workplace. Chuck and John and, and, and Joe, can't. our Sunday school teachers, can't be at your workplace. Maybe you're the only one that can do that. There's the opportunity. And you can be given the, the ability to just tell what you know. Of course, we need to be studying God's Word and learning more and more about it so we can be more knowledgeable uh, and share more. But don't give up the opportunity to share what you know about your Savior, Jesus Christ, because maybe you're the only one that can. Maybe you're not a teacher or a preacher, but perhaps you have a skill that no one else has, uh, either out at your workplace or in your community or here at church. Maybe you're a mechanic or you, you, you know electronics, or you're a musician, or you like editing, or you, you enjoy computers, you enjoy teaching children, or working with special needs children. Know that God can use you, and God needs you in his kingdom. If you don't do it, who else will? Maybe he needs your skill that you never even thought of that could be used for the kingdom of God. Your ability, your knowledge. He has work planned for you, just like he did Deborah and J.L. Maybe what you and I need to do is open up our eyes and just see what needs to be done. What needs to be done? Who needs to be talked to? What, what help needs to be given? And then ask ourselves, is that something I could do? I've never done it before, but really, could I do it? And then pick up the hammer and the peg and just do it. Just do it. God uses ordinary yet exceptional people to serve him. And you are one of them. You are one of them. So trust God and let him use you to achieve guaranteed victories in his kingdom. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for another great story in the book of Judges. Uh, it's so fun to read uh, the, the way that you work with people like Deborah, like Barak, like J.L., like Heber. Uh, it's just, you know, just ordinary people, uh, uh, just a, a nomad and his wife, and uh, just people that, that we might think uh, could never do something great for you, but yet you used them. They were there where they needed to be. They had an opportunity, and they took it. Uh, they trusted you. Uh, they trusted each other as they served together. Lord, help us to just learn an exam a, a lesson from these, these characters in this story um, to know that, you know, that, that, um, that we can do this. We can make great, uh, a great impact in your kingdom with our life, even if it's just to one person at work or at home or, or a neighbor or a friend. If we can lead one person to Christ or or, or 
encourage one person to come to church and, and, uh, and learn about uh, who you are. If we can affect one person's life, uh, then we're doing a tremendous thing for your kingdom. Help us to never think, I can't do that. Uh, I don't have the ability uh, to do that. We do. Just help us to, to take the opportunities we have and just do it. We thank you, Father, for the work that you have planned for us. Help us to keep our eyes open to see what that is. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen.